so this week, friends, uh, we get to begin a new sermon series. And the series is entirely on hearing and listening and what listening means as a practice of discipleship. And this includes listening, of course, to God, but it also means listening to one another and how the two of those things inter- intertwine. Now, it's really fitting, I think, for this series to begin with our second lesson. As Jesus visits his hometown synagogue, and as he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, he gives um, the folks gathered there the clearest sense of who he is as God's son, as, as the very Christ of God, the anointed one of God. I invite you, friends, to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the fourth chapter of Gospel of Luke, beginning with the 14th verse. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue and on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A number of years back now, when uh, Marie and I moved to our last parish in East Tennessee, we were moving into the church's manse, or pastor's home. The church was generously uh, fixing up the place for us before we moved in, and uh, when we arrived, we met the three contractors that were doing most of the work. I remember I was brand new to East Tennessee and from Michigan originally, so the very strong southern accents that are common in East Tennessee were uh, new to me. So it was no surprise when a big burly gentleman introduced himself to me as Johnny, I heard with 100% certainty, Joni. So when I said, it is nice to meet you, Joni, and shook his hand, his face dropped and I realized I made an utter fool of myself. How we hear something matters. And it certainly mattered to Jesus in our reading this morning as he begins his ministry in Luke's gospel. Last week we heard the story of Jesus' first miracle in John's gospel of turning water into wine at a wedding in Cana, but today we hear how his ministry begins in Luke's gospel. Right after his temptation in the wilderness, he begins preaching and teaching and ends up back in Galilee in his hometown of Nazareth. Luke wants us to see Jesus as a good, observant Jewish man who goes to synagogue on the Sabbath to worship with his community. 
Worship in this day consisted of prayer and readings from uh, Scripture, from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Law, and also a reading or readings from the Haptorah, the Prophets. Jewish men could volunteer or might even be called upon to do uh, one of these readings from the scrolls, and this is what happens to Jesus in our lesson. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, and Jesus turns to a very intentional place, essentially what we know today as Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I apologize in advance for geeking out with you just a bit, but I want us to take a little closer look at the words in here. He begins with, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. God's Spirit is, is the active participant in Luke's gospel, driving Jesus throughout his ministry, and then in Acts, driving the, the apostles and the leaders of the early church. The Spirit is the main character in Luke and Acts. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon him because he has anointed him. The Spirit has chosen him. It's the word for anointed is the very word for Christ. To proclaim good news, gospel, to the poor. The word for, for poor in Greek that's used here, patokoi, can mean the economically poor, of course, but it could also mean the socially marginalized and oppressed. Basically, everyone who was on the sidelines of society. Now, the idea here is not only to benefit those uh, in, in economic poverty, but instead a total well-being of society that's being proclaimed here by lifting up those who are currently left out. Jesus continues by proclaiming release to the captives. The word here is aphasis in Greek, and it's also a word that means to be forgiven, to be set free. He continues to talk about recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and Jesus concludes by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which all the people would know as the Jubilee. The year in every 50 years where uh, farmers would allow the land to rest, where people would return to their hometowns, where debts were forgiven, where prisoners were set free. The word aphasis, uh, release, is closely connected with the idea of Jubilee because it, it really is a promise of release from debts to um, from uh, imprisonment, from anything that binds us and holds us back, from anything that separates us from God and one another. This word of faces is a very rich and deep word, to say the least. A powerful statement from Jesus to begin his ministry, right? Now, context is everything here. What else is going on here? So the part of Isaiah um, that Jesus is reading from is believed to have been written at the end of the Babylonian exile, when people were allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their destroyed city as well as the temple. 
The prophet declares the year of the Lord's favor, likely the Jubilee year as, as, we, as we shared, when the slates would be wiped clean, where everyone would get a fresh start. It's a victory speech of sorts for Isaiah. And for good reason, because now the people could reclaim their home. In Jesus' time, though, the, it was a, in the first century, it'd be putting it mildly to say that it was a little different mood going on. As they were living in, under Roman occupation, as they had been for some time, with a puppet king of, of Herod uh, ruling, the, uh, ruling on behalf of the empire. It was a tense time, and things certainly were not looking up as Jesus stands there in the synagogue to read these beloved words from Isaiah. So the context shows us how these words from Jesus will be heard by his community, and we'll hear the community's response to these words next week, and unfortunately, to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert, it's not pretty. But from the context, you can understand a little bit why. But get this, after he says these words from Isaiah, he hands the scroll back and sits down. I can imagine just a long, awkward pause here. Everyone's amazed, they're perplexed, they're probably even a little confused. And then, perhaps feeling the need to say something, he stands up and says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says these words um, in what's known as the perfect tense in Greek. That this scripture has been fulfilled, has been fulfilled in your hearing. It means that, that this perfect tense is, refers to something that's happened in the past that has an ongoing effect on the present and will continue to have an effect in the future. It becomes clear that Jesus reading these words is not simply him quoting Isaiah. He's saying that the prophet's words are coming to light here and now. Not just because Jesus has said them, but rather they have been fulfilled in their hearing, in the hearing of the people gathered there, in the, in the hearing of the people in the world of the time, in our hearing now. Jesus has just quoted this pivotal verse from Isaiah and takes it on himself as his mission statement, as his guiding statement, telling everyone who he is and what he's going to be about, bringing good news to the poor, releasing those in captivity, proclaiming the year of God's favor. When he says that these words have been fulfilled in your hearing, perfect tense, he's saying that they are indicative of our mission as his followers as well. As I've been saying, and we'll keep saying today, how we hear something matters. Now, this has long been a focus of our Reformed Presbyterian tradition. The words we read from Scripture and the words that we read each Sunday from Scripture matter. What I say right here in the pulpit every Sunday might matter. But what matters just as much, and I'd argue even more, is how these words are heard and how these words are responded to us as a community of faith. How do we hear Jesus' words today? 
How will we respond to them? Do we hear them as a threat? Do we hear them as an empty promise? Or do we hear his words as a comfort, or maybe even as a call to action? Do we hear these words simply in the past tense, scoffing at any notion that what Jesus has said still matters today? Or do we hear these words in the perfect tense, trusting that God's promise of release and redemption in the past continues to be experienced today, and as disciples we can live into this jubilee here and now and proclaim it. There's so many examples of folks living into Jesus' words in the perfect tense, as I've been sharing with you. To me, some of the most powerful are those who take Jesus' very words to heart, and work with those uh, recently released from prison, providing education and community support. But there are ways that each of us can live into these prophetic words of Jesus and claim them as our own, claiming his promise of release for ourselves and the world around us here and now. In this time of division and, and bitter disputes about all sorts of things, Perhaps a way we can live into Jesus' words and the way we can uh, proclaim for ourselves that Jesus' words are fulfilled in our hearing might just be to intentionally try hearing one another. To try to understand those with whom we disagree, their perspective, where they're coming from. To try with everything we have to see them as fellow children of God. Perhaps fulfilling Jesus' words in our hearing means listening to a neighbor whose culture and experience and story is different from our own. And in that hearing, being able to see one another as beloved children of God, being able to understand just a bit of someone else's story, respond together that God is bringing redemption and healing among us here and now. Friends, how we hear these words and how we respond to them matter. These pivotal words and how we hear them matter as we begin a new year, and they matter as we prepare in just a moment to ordain and install new officers to Christ's church. How will they be fulfilled in our hearing? I challenge us, friends, as Jesus says them, to hear these words in the perfect tense trusting, living, embodying Christ's promise of release and redemption coming to light here and now. And as we continue to find our way through these challenging times, may Jesus' words proclaiming good news and release and freedom give us hope. And may they beckon us to participate in God's own jubilee and the redemption of our broken and hurting world. May it be so, friends. Amen.